Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. And welcome to episode 14. Before we get started, though, we have an exciting announcement for you guys. Yes! From Skirts to Scrubs is now a part of the ASA Collective, a podcasting network working towards the goal of increasing the representation and influence of female identifying voices worldwide. So you should check out asacollective.com for more information. Yeah, and we're so excited for this new step and for our podcast. Absolutely. I can't wait. But I'm also really excited for this episode. Yeah, me too. So the episode today is kind of sentimental to me because it ties perfectly into our very first episode ever, which was also my first episode. So it's like, so remember we learned all about ancient nursing. We talked about women as caregivers, the influence of the Catholic church on nurses and the rise and fall of the profession. It was quite a wild ride, and it was lots of fun, if I do say so myself. And though it is not essential to the storyline of today, I definitely recommend checking out episode one, either before or after listening to this episode, so you can get a full appreciation of the topic. But why is that, you may ask? Well, because for those of you who have listened to episode one, you may remember that we ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. To be specific, I mentioned some special lady that turned the whole nursing profession around. And Alicia, who is the special lady? <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess <laughs> and say that it's Florence Nightingale. It is. It's Florence. You got it. You got the first question perfectly correct. A plus. So yeah, today we're going to be talking about Florence Nightingale, who is the mother of nursing. But before we get into who this wonderful lady is, Alicia, do you know anything about her? She was like one of the like major nurses. Oh, and then there's like the Florence Nightingale effect where patients like particularly men like fall in love with her slash caregivers. I always confuse her and Clara Barton, but they're different people. And I they wonder if their people. timelines are overlapping or if I'm just making that up. Because I was literally about to say the Florence Nightingale founded the American Red Cross. And then I was like, no, 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 that was Clara Barton. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I've heard of the Florence Nightingale effect. Um, I think she was British. I know that she knew Elizabeth Blackwell. So that was like a fun crossover moment, Mm -hmm. but I don't think they liked each other. So I don't know what the history is there, but I don't know that much about her. Great. So yeah, I mean, you got a couple of things, right? The Florence Nightingale effect. um, I don't get into in the episode, but it is basically like either the caregiver falls in love with the patient or the patient falls in love with the caregiver. And I was actually reading about it a bit. And there doesn't seem to be any evidence Florence ever fell in love with her patient. She was just like a super caring person. So yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a fact down the line. I think they just coined for her. And yeah, I also saw that she's not a big fan of Elizabeth Blackwell. So maybe that's something we could talk about down the line. But yeah, okay, great. So we have a lot to learn together. So let's get into it. Let's do it. So to get a feel for who Florence was and her impact on healthcare, I wanted to set the scene a little bit to show what healthcare was like when she entered the field. Okay. So it's the 1800s. We have been here many times. So to remind everyone, you know, there's poofy skirts, 
there's innocent or not so innocent ladies walking around on those corsets. <laughs> like, you know, the drill of the 1800s at this point, if you've been following along. Shar, I wonder if you would be the innocent lady and I would be the not so innocent lady <laughs> and we would walk down the street together like pals. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fantastic. But yeah, the 1800s. So medicine had taken off as a profession and nursing had really been left behind. Nursing was actually seen as an undesirable and low profession to enter, especially by the upper class. And this isn't to say that there wasn't nurses or that nurses weren't impactful or important. It just means that the profession wasn't well organized or respected. But the fall of nursing had nothing on the conditions of hospitals at this time. So I Mm. wanted to give a quick explanation of a hospital in reference to the Crimean War which was fought between the Russians and the British, French, and Ottoman Empire in the 1850s. And this will make sense why I'm referencing this war a bit later. But imagine this. You're a nurse or a doctor or you're a healthcare provider, and you're walking into this army hospital. And you walk in, and soldiers are dying left and right. But they're not dying from battle wounds. No, they're dying from cholera, typhoid. Mm, oh, God. Typhus. Diarrhea. Yeah, all it's just, oh, it's gross. Probably smells awful in there. And as the soldiers are dying, you see that the floors are lined with lice and fleas, oh, various bugs. They're crawling over the dirty linens that are on the beds Ew. and covering the floor. Yeah, and then you go and you're like, oh, my God, these soldiers are so dirty. I need to clean them. So you go to try and find something to do that. There's no soap in the hospital. There's no clean towels anywhere. And there's only 10 baths for the entire army camp. Oh, geez. And then you try to walk over to a patient just to tend to them, but you can't even get to the patient because the beds are pushed so close together. Oh my God. Sometimes I think it's bad when I don't shower for two days because I'm like (laughs) studying like a lot and I'm like wearing the same pajamas. And then I think about this and I'm like, well, you know, Alicia, you did good work today. (laughs) Yeah, I think literally anything could be better than this. Like these conditions are like, I can't even imagine living in those conditions, let alone treating people in those conditions. Yeah. So it's a pretty low bar right now in the 1800s and in the, in this war. And so these are the conditions that Florence Nightingale entered in her first big nursing gig. Oh, before we get into that, let's do a really quick history of who this fun lady even is. So Florence Nightingale was born into a wealthy British family. And oh, you're gonna like this, Alicia. So she was born to this rich family and she was named after the city that she was born in while her family was traveling Italy. So her name is Florence. And while growing up, she was homeschooled and expected to marry young which is kind of like Bridgerton. (gasps) Oh, you're right. (laughs) All roads lead to Bridgerton. Yes, literally her family was out here prepping Florence to be the diamond of the season. Oh. Quite literally. She was a part of the wealthy class in Britain. She was literally being homeschooled and groomed for young marriage and going on to be a housewife. Mm. However, Florence did not want that. She was out here like, that is not what I see for myself. She did not want to be the diamond of the season. She said that she actually felt that she had a calling to help the poor and the sick, and she wanted to become a nurse, which 
from someone of from the upper class saying she wants to become a nurse, which is a low position at the time, that was just unheard of. And she got a lot of pushback from her family for that. Yes. Because her family had all these big dreams of her, you know, marrying the Duke and having all these beautiful <laughs> children. Oh, living God, in the countryside. The Duke. But the Duke. even though they had all these dreams for her, they did end up allowing her to study nursing in Germany. And then okay. from Germany, she went to Paris, continued her training for a bit, and she eventually returned to London at the age of 33, where she was at this point a well-respected and educated woman and a full-on nurse. So she had gone against her parents' wishes, but also kind of with their support to go into this lower profession. But okay, so Florence returns to London, and she's going to start building her career. So she started working in a nursing home where she first noticed the issues in healthcare delivery and in healthcare quality. So she saw that the home she was working in lacked a hot water system. So literally it was just cold water taking care of elderly. And they didn't really have an effective mechanism to deliver food to patients either. And right away she was like, nah, this is not, this is not how it's going to happen. We got to fix this. So she worked to create a hot water system that actually brought hot water to multiple floors. So it was going up the building too, which is impressive for the time. Yeah. And she even created like a little food elevator to bring food to the patients mm, to deliver it to them easier. That's fun. So yeah. So the nursing home was like, oh, this lady's so innovative and smart and great. She was made superintendent of the home within a year of working there. So she already had this great old leadership position in her first nursing job. So people saw her potential from the start. However, this didn't last long because then the Crimean War started, which is, you know, I mentioned before. That's but <laughs> as based on those conditions I described, it's not surprising that there was a massive public health crisis going mm-hmm. on in this war. I read like a statistic that soldiers were dying faster in the hospital areas in the war than just in like the general war itself. That totally checks out. Like if I was even slightly ill and then everyone around me had cholera i'd be like cholera just come take me now just come take me now it's fine yeah that's basically what was happening like there it was a huge problem and people were like this is not good like we need reinforcements like they were right. low on food they were low on medicine physicians Eesh. everyone which led to the arrival of florence Hello. so florence was called upon to oversee the operations of a war hospital in constantinople turkey mm-hmm. which at the time Turkey was a part of the Ottoman Empire, and they were one of the countries involved in this war. So Florence, with her team of 38 nurses, went to Constantinople to serve in this hospital. But when she got there, like, they did not want her there. It was a bunch of females entering this male-dominated space, right? All the soldiers are male, the physicians are male, and there's all these women coming in as backup. And they're like, women? Like, what? Why are you here? But they, they did not care. Florence did not let that stop her at all. She saw the terrible conditions that the hospital was in and got to work being her caring, dedicated self. She okay. literally stayed up day and night caring for these patients. She was even nicknamed Aww. the lady with the lamp because she would tend to patients by lamplight. It's like one of the phrases. If you look up Florence Nightingale, like lady with the lamp will definitely come up. There's like songs and poems written about her that reference like Lady with the Lamp if they don't reference her name directly. Wow. So yeah, she was like working her butt off. And even the fact that they coined her Lady with the Lamp, like no one else was checking in on the soldiers at night. 
Yeah. But that kind of just seems like a part of caring for someone. You don't just forget about them for half the day, but whatever. Not only that, but she also got to work with um, fixing the conditions of the hospital. So she instructed everyone in the hospital to remove all the dirty clothes, to mm. move the horses out of the basement of the hospital. What the heck, man? <laughs> but she she was like, you guys need to move the horses so that we can like get the sewage system working and oh, get some God. clean water in here. We got to have good movement in the basement. Yeah. She also worked to increase ventilation and clean air because she said that clean air was healthy for soldiers, which she was so right. You don't want stale, dirty air your hospital she also instructed that they move the beds to at least three feet apart mm-hmm. and she used her own money to order new rags new clothes medicines foods tables like all these different things to the hospitals wow yeah she's killing it so needless to say florence and her team of nurses were not there to play and just to show how large of an impact they had in this hospital um so the death rate when they first got there was 43 percent Guess what the death rate was when she left? Like 1%? You're very close. It was 2%. Mm, good for her. It went down 40%. That's insane. It, yeah. it all it took was good hygiene and better policies. And Florence saw like how big of an impact she had too. So the war ended, she went back to England, and she started a study using her patient records from the war. So she was looking at like how her work in the hospital quantitatively changed like the hospital outcome wow actually space medicine florence wow she actually created pie graphs which i apparently weren't weren't really a thing at the time like they were not a popular way to present data she even came up with her own special type of pie graph which it kind of looked like in the pictures like a pie graph is usually like a perfect circle but hers like all the wedges were different sizes oh interesting yeah, I don't but know she, what that means, but okay. I don't either, but apparently it was like big and an impressive thing too if I knew anything about stats, but I'm kind of bad at statistics. Um, <laughs> so I didn't look into it that deeply. But with this data, she actually presented her research to Queen Victoria. What? Her study, yeah, because her study found Mickey? that 10 times the number of soldiers died from disease than from battle in that war. Wow. Like, that's a huge thing to find. And she presented the queen and then she actually gained a ton of recognition from this. She got a bunch of money from England and a lot of support in her statistical research and her like career as a nurse from this follow-up of the war mm. and presenting it to the queen. So this was really the beginning of Florence's role as a statistician along with being a nurse, which is funny because one, I had no idea that Florence Nightingale did anything with statistics. So the statistician thing really threw me off. But what was kind of funny is when I first was like, okay, I'm going to research Florence Nightingale. And I Google Florence Nightingale is my first step in research, right? Yeah. And then the little box, you know that when you Google something, a little box pops up on the right from like Wikipedia or something. And it like gives you a quick lowdown of whatever yeah. you Googled. Yeah. The Florence Nightingale came up and then under her name, it literally said statistician, not nurse. I was like, what? And I'm not going to lie. That really drove my my research. I was like, I can figure out what's going on with this because I thought she was a nurse. That's so interesting. It was a wild experience. I know. So yeah, this research study was like her first big step in that part of her career. 
But she was, of course, a nurse. And truly, she was like the nurse. Right. When she returned from war, the nursing profession did a full 180 Mm. under her leadership. In 1860, she established the Nightingale Training School for Nurses in London, which, according to one source, was the first nursing school in the world, which I'm not entirely sure how accurate that really is yeah um because i'm sure there were tons of other nursing programs across the world across different countries but i can confidently say that her nursing school was a hit because mm. women were flocking to the profession like they quite literally raised the profession to where it is today just by the amount of women that entered nursing after florence started popularizing wow. it like Florence Nightingale was loved across the world and women just wanted to be like her it seemed like so she really revitalized what it is to be a nurse in her nursing schools women were required to undergo one year of coursework and two years of clinical experience in a hospital okay okay which really is not bad that's kind of what med school that's does pretty good honest. i mean that's better than what <laughs> medical schools were doing at that time remember how clinical yeah, schools you're were so optional? right <laughs> I forgot about that. That's a great point. Yeah. So already like the schools in nursing schools are so intense. Like the fact that nurses go to school and they come out like ready to go in the job. This was a fantastic foundation for nursing. This school she created. Florence also wrote the book, The Notes of Nursing, What It Is and What It Is Not. Mm. I actually looked up this book. You can like Google it, find a PDF version. And I read a little bit of it here and there. And it's full of all different types of chapters, but one chapter was on noise level, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> okay. What okay. What do you think they talked about in that chapter, Alicia? <laughs> no, I don't know. Is it about like eardrums and like, okay, think about if you're a nurse and you're thinking about what nurses do, like they're caring for patients, like throughout their care, they're trying to make them more comfortable as they heal. Like what does noise level oh, have to do Oh, it with should that? be like quiet. I have the worst guesses ever. No, no, no. You're the comic relief. It's it's great. (laughs) Okay, so it has to be quiet. Yeah, so it has to be quiet. So I thought this was so interesting. I saw noise level and I was like, what? And then I went to the chapter and I was reading through it and I was like, this makes so much sense. Like, because when you walk around hospitals, there are signs everywhere. No matter what hospital you go to, it's going to say like, shh, people are healing with a little person like smiling in the sign. And this chapter talked about that. Like it talked about how if you're talking super loud, that's not um, helping a patient. Or if a, two doctors in a room talking when they don't need to be in the room talking, like they should go in the hallway and talk to give the patient rest. And the chapter just talked about like all that basically. There was also a chapter that talked about diversifying patients' thoughts. Basically the idea that patients shouldn't be left to just sit a, sit and stare at a wall all day in hopes of getting better. Yeah. Just going through like the same thoughts in their head over and over, which to me really made me think of like how chatty nurses are. They're always trying to talk about different things and have all these conversations yeah. with patients. And they're so good at building relationships. And they're always coming in and being like, how you doing? What can I get you? Blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> blah, they're blah, blah. there to be <laughs> like, they're there to be like the patient's support system throughout their care. And I think that's such a good point of having to diversify a patient's thoughts because it's not going to, it's not helpful to the patient to sit there and just drone on about what's going on. Like you need something else going on. Yeah. Like a distraction. Let your body heal. I was also thinking about how 
I don't know if you've like heard of this or like if how much you like believe, but I like fully mm-hmm. believe that there is a healing power of your mind, like a mentality thing. So that's actually mm-hmm. where my head went. And I was like, oh, she is trying to like encourage patients to be positive and have positive prognoses and like feel good about their health because that will improve their outcomes. I don't know if that's true. And that's probably not what she was saying, but. No, I do. I do think that's part of what she's saying too. Cause there was parts while I was skimming this book that talked about like, there should be fresh flowers in the rooms of patients. Mm. Like the patient room should be clean and the walls cleaned and like all these things that they're to make the environment, the patient's living in like so much better and so much happier. So I definitely think that's a part. I agree. Like if you're having the worst attitude ever, that's definitely going to play into the hormones in your body and interacting with whatever you're fighting. I know. 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 Anyway, there's this whole book on nursing. And then also Florence, after the war, she started studying the interaction of the environment and patients' health and just like how they play into each other. Yes. And she developed the environmental theory of nursing. Oh, which stated that nurses shall utilize the environment of the patient to assist in recovery. Mm. So this means that the nurse should focus on a couple different areas. They should focus on fresh air, pure water, efficient drainage, sanitation, and sunlight. Okay. Yeah. So with these five areas, you're more likely to create a nurturing environment for your patient. So kind of like I was saying about like having fresh flowers and such right, like having and have a it more like nurturing environment quiet and like all those things yeah and the sunlight one is so huge one article i was reading was talking about how you know lawrence couldn't have known this at the time just based on like where medicine was and research but having sunlight and its effect on depression yeah too like just having a fresh sun coming in through your window would help patients mood so much and have such an impact on their care. And she might not have known that, but she just knew that it's better to sit in a sunlight room than sit in the dark while you're trying to heal. Yeah. She was so right. She was really on one in a good way. Yeah. It's like Florence had someone speaking in her ear from the future being like, do all these things. Yeah. Then you'll be great because she you'll see just all the crazy things she did. So Florence literally wrote the book on nursing per se. Mm -hmm. She was the one to say how nurses should act and how they should be trained. She also carved the place for the profession's role in public health and quality improvement in hospital systems. Mm -hmm. So Alicia, can you think of an example of how nurses are important in healthcare delivery and just healthcare in general? You can give like multiple examples if you want. Oh, they are key. I mean, okay, first Mm -hmm. of all, on a patient level, they are the most front-facing healthcare providers to our patients. And they are so, Mm -hmm. they have that personal relationship with them that if you are a patient and you are inpatient, like you're admitted to the hospital, your nurses are the ones that you see. And they're there when you click that little button because something is wrong or if nothing is wrong, they come either way. They're always there for you. They are. They really are. They're wonderful. And then, um, Additionally, they take on a lot of autonomous roles when other providers aren't around because they're the ones that are so present. So they are like very key in not only making decisions about patient care, but then following up about that care and making sure that when the new nurses come in and there's like a a shift that 
this patient's care mm-hmm. is streamlined. So it's really, there's like a transfer of care that's really like thoughtful. Um, mm-hmm. And then nurses also can go into leadership roles and they're nurse managers and nurse practitioners and like midwives and advanced registered nurses. So these nurses have so many diverse roles. And I'm sure that this is just me saying things from my own perspective and understanding because I don't know the extent and like, I'm not a nurse, but we are, I have this class like that we are in right now called interprofessional education, where every Mm -hmm. week we like sit down with students from all the, a bunch of different healthcare schools. So like there's like dental students and pharmacy students and nursing students, not like undergrad nursing students, but like the, if you're getting your advanced nursing degree. And we have class like every week and I have my little small group and I really like my group. They're really cool. But the nurse, she like we've had three sessions, but she's only been able to be at one because of work. But she was really cool. And Mm -hmm. she was really carrying the team because the medical (laughs) student, nursing student like that, the questions we have to answer kind of go together because they're very like diagnostic Mm -hmm. and like medical terminology related. But we're Mm -hmm. just M1s. So we don't know anything. and. Like, she was really carrying the team. Yeah, that actually reminds me of when I volunteered at, like, the vaccine distribution. Like, all the med student volunteers were M1s because we're all like, please let us do something that's not sitting at our desk. And we get there and they're like, okay, how many people have, like, this certification so you can be in the observation room? None of the medical students, (laughs) all the nursing students. Who knows how to give a vaccine? all the nursing students, none of the medical students. They're basically like, why are you here, medical students? (laughs) Like, you don't know how to do anything. We really don't. But yeah, nurses do everything. They're in every tier of the hospital from the bottom up, and they are truly the ones running the hospitals. Like, hospitals don't run without them. Because if anyone remembers this, in Grey's Anatomy once, there was this nurses strike, and the hospital was not okay. They literally couldn't run. They were begging the nurses to come back. Nurses are huge. They're a huge part of patient care and hospital operations. And the environmental theory I just described is one example of how nurses play a role in like building hospital environment. But thanks to Florence, there were a multitude of improvements to quality care through her work and through nursing. So I'm just going to list a few of the ways that hospitals and healthcare was changed due to Florence Nightingale now, because there's a lot and it would take me so long to go in depth for all of them. But one, medical records. Florence is like, you know, it'd be a great idea if we wrote down what we were doing with all of our patients. Oh my God. Like track of their care and then used these records to do studies on our patients and on our care. Medical records are used all the time for research now. And Florence was one of the people who started that. So I thought that was crazy. Another was the use of statistics in healthcare improvement, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. She was one of the pioneers of using evidence-based medicine. I was reading this article on like evidence-based medicine and how it started and how it's come to literally the beginning. They were like, in the beginning, there was Florence Nightingale. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I like that. <laughs> um, and then it went on to talk about some other people and like how evidence-based medicine had improved. But truly out of like 
maybe 10 paragraphs where every single one was something different. Florence was given like two paragraphs. So Mm. she even said like a direct quote is that improved statistics can tell us more of the relative value of a particular operation and modes of treatment than any other means. And it can improve the treatment and management of the sick. Oh, I was also just going to quickly say for anyone who doesn't know, like, what is evidence-based medicine? Because I thought I knew, but then I realized after starting my evidence-based medicine class that I actually didn't. But evidence-based medicine is effectively the practice of making medical decisions based on scientific literature that's released. And so that's why it ties so much into statistics and like, and medical records and keeping track and doing research and studies, because it's, you know, when you have like a condition and you have multiple courses of treatment that you could do, and all of them are um, very similar, or like, we don't know which one to use, the physician will go and look at the literature and the scientific like published data and then make a decision or like collect information to present to you so that you two can make a decision together. So that's what evidence-based medicine is. But a lot of physicians don't necessarily practice that because over time you get really good at pattern recognition. And so you just know like, oh, okay, I know what this is because of pattern recognition. Therefore, this is the diagnosis when in fact Mm -hmm. it's better practice to use data to inform your decisions or your diagnoses or your treatment options that you present to your patient so that you can make a shared decision. So all of those things were Florence, which is very cool. Yeah. And like one thing that's this article that talked about evidence-based medicine was saying is that as Florence was pushing for more like medical statistics and just being more evidence-based, like she got pushback from surgeons a lot of the time because she'd be doing all these studies on surgery. She encouraged like systematic reviews and just building more systemology and medical practice and surgery. And surgeons would just be like, no, I don't want to look at these stats of other outcomes and surgeries. It's taking away the art of medicine Mm. was something it said, which I thought was interesting because medicine was seen as an art for so long through history. And I still think it's an art, Yeah, but I don't think when I think of medicine as an art, I think of it as me doing the art. I am not the artist as a physician. Like, yes, like, no, medicine's an art because it's beautiful and amazing. Not because I'm the one painting the picture. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. it Yeah. That's interesting. I'm glad. And I'm grateful for your explanation too, because I didn't even know a full definition of evidence-based medicine. Yeah. But yeah, so she was a big influence at that. Florence said that statistics was the most important science in the world. Okay, she also approached healthcare as an interprofessional field. That's good. She really wanted healthcare workers to work together. She wanted this for not only patient care systems, but especially for running a hospital, which makes sense because, as you said, nurses are such a huge part of healthcare teams. They really hold the team as other everyone else is like running in and out of seeing a million patients. The nurses that are there with a few patients are holding those healthcare teams down and they're at every level of the hospital helping run it as a collaborative system. Yeah. That makes sense too. And then lastly, last point I'll say is that she also had a great influence in hospital reform and design. I thought mm. that was kind of cool. So she made hospitals so that they were more spread out. They had more windows, ventilation and sunlight, because as we know, she 
really loved having clean air. And she also encouraged hospitals to have wings, which I was like, that's cool because all hospitals have wings now. Yeah, they do. Um, And the point of this was to reduce the spread of infection, which makes sense because let's say for antibiotics, like a big thing in hospitals is to, you use like different antibiotics in different areas of the hospital. So you're not continuously using the same antibiotics in a hospital system. Cause then you're going to build Community. resistant bugs resistance. in that part of the hospital yeah, or in that room. So there should be like a rotation. I thought that was so interesting with using hospital wings to reduce the spread of infection. Cause I that's still a practice in public health, I think, today. So really the list like goes on and on. She really dipped her toes in every side of healthcare. She's building mm-hmm. nursing, designing hospital systems, doing statistics, doing research. Like she is the Wonder Woman doing everything. Even to the point where she's in England doing this. The United States was seeking her advice during the Civil War to ensure that there's like military hospitals were safe and effective too. So people are literally reaching across the ocean when there's no phones at the time to do so. So yeah, Florence has had a great impact on nursing and healthcare delivery systems, and her work did not go unnoticed. Florence was awarded the Royal Red Cross by Queen Victoria, um, which I don't know what that is, but (laughs) she was... But also, she was one of the inspirations for the founding of the Red Cross. Oh, okay. You're right. She did not find the Red Cross, found it, but she was a big inspiration for the founding of the organization. Oh, cool. She was also given the Order of Merit, which is an award of the Commonwealth of England that recognizes distinguished service in the armed forces, science, art, literature, or for the promotion of culture. She was the first female member of the Royal Statistical Society (laughs) and an honorary member of the American Statistical Association. There's also a medal made in her honor to recognize outstanding nurses for courage and devotion to civilian victims in armed conflict and natural disasters. Yeah. Then lastly, International Nurses Day is celebrated on Florence's birthday, which is May 12th every year. I know, so cute. So... While Florence died at the age of 90 in 1910 from crimson fever, she laid on her sickbed for many years and continued to write books and publish studies on nursing and statistics and healthcare delivery improvement. And Florence Nightingale was just truly an iconic woman. And she lifted one of the most respected and important professions to where it is today and created hospitals into places of healing. I don't know, researching Florence Nightingale really got me in the field. This woman did so much for healthcare today. Yeah. So I really just want to end this segment with the Florence Nightingale pledge that nurses take at the end of their training, which is much like the Hippocratic Oath that physicians swear by. So this is the pledge. I solemnly pledge myself before God, which I'm a little confused why they do it before God, but whatever. And in the presence of this assembly to pass my life in purity and to practice my profession faithfully. I will abstain from whatever is deleterious, mischievous, or knowingly administer any harmful drug. I will do all in my power to maintain and elevate the standard of my profession and will hold in confidence all personal matters committed to my keeping and all family affairs coming to my knowledge in the practice of my calling. With loyalty will I endeavor to aid the physician in his work or her work or their work and devote myself to the welfare of those committed to my care. And that is the end of my story on Florence Nightingale. Yay! (laughs) All right, should we get into talking about some things about Florence? Yeah! 
we are back. As always, Alicia, what did you think about this episode? Anything that stuck with you? Any thoughts? Literally anything your heart desires. I'm really impressed by this woman. She is, it's funny how we exist in our fields and exist in the healthcare spheres and we take things for granted. We assume that Mm. things have always been a certain way. And of course we know that that's not true and that's why you and I love history and that's why we look Mm into how did things become the way they are. But I think it's really special when there's a singular person that has had such a longstanding impact on a field. Florence mm-hmm. Nightingale truly did dip her toes into every aspect of healthcare. And yeah, she did so in this sustainable way. So many things that she put forth are still things we use now. Like, I think I'm really shocked by this medical record thing. That's crazy. Yeah. Right? Me too. Yeah. And like, the pie graphs that seems so like it's so minute and so silly but it is very interesting that evidence-based medicine is rooted in this woman it's really cool that she I loved it the way you put it was so funny you were like I looked up evidence-based medicine and it is Florence Nightingale (laughs) yeah and you're right truly I agree with that she had such a large role and so interesting And I think it's interesting because in relation to medicine, let's say, as a field, like nursing isn't new. We literally have a whole episode on the ancient origins of nursing. Like nursing's been around for so long. Right. But if you're going to name influential people in nursing, there's Florence Nightingale, who's from 200 years ago. But if you name an influential person, big influential person at the start of medicine, like Florence is for the start of nursing. You're going to say Galen or yeah. like Hippocrates, Hippocrates or from like ancient history, like so long ago. But Florence is such a modern figure. It's interesting since she is a modern figure, her work has still had such a large impact and it's so relevant. Like a lot of, I think more like ancient physicians, their work was important and was a big start for medicine, but a lot of it's less relevant now because we've learned so much more about medicine that us talking about them is just more like appreciative and um just like loving the history of medicine more than being like wow they really they really did a lot for like how we practice medicine yeah, today you know honestly my favorite thing about ancient medicine is just coming for stuff. it like what the heck <laughs> yeah. for humors and we should bloodlet yeah. people like absolutely not <laughs> i definitely th- understand that all the ideas are foundations that people built on to eventually get to where we are today. But in terms of being an influential person in yourself towards medicine, like Florence, I feel like is so much bigger. She deserves the stage more because of how relevant she is and how her practices and the way she designed nursing school and just all those things are still how it is today. No, absolutely. And I just want to make a quick point and say that it's interesting, like that you brought up that these ancient physicians are still people that we talk about because I think, I mean, that's rooted in the fact that they are men and we have this Mm -hmm. like patriarchal society where we value that. Cause now I'm thinking back to like our episode on ancient origins of nursing. And I learned a lot about like women that were influential Mm -hmm. throughout the history of it, but you're right. In reality, when I think like nursing who are major figures, I think, Florence Nightingale, Clara Barton, others. Yeah. We always have to come back to this like grounding moment of who is telling the story. 
I thought it was so interesting how Florence had a large role in quality improvement in hospitals, especially because I don't know about your medical school, but in mine, we definitely talk about that like a lot. So in our first day of anatomy lab, actually, when we, when we had in-person classes, that is, we had this lecture on the importance of quality improvement in healthcare and in hospitals and how our anatomy lab handoffs we have are our first experience in caring for our patient and ensuring accurate and complete transfer of care. And then we went on to learn a lot about like medical errors and how so much of medical deaths have to do with physician error and like all these things that you can do to improve healthcare delivery. I think it's getting bigger and bigger today as the field gets more complicated. And in Florence saw this from the beginning. She walked into the hospital and was like, yeah, we're not doing this. We're fixing this right now. <laughs> so I guess Alicia, I wanted to hear your opinion on healthcare improvement and if you've had any experience in it or how medical students are involved in it. And then also, why do you think it took Florence Nightingale, this nurse, especially when nursing wasn't really a big thing at the time to really start this influential snowball of change? Right. I think when I think about health systems and like improving health systems, I think you're right. It's at least in my mind, and maybe this is from lack of knowledge, but in my mind, it is becoming this new thing that a lot of people are talking about. And I think especially now that medical schools are moving towards this more broad application cycle, and they're taking students from different backgrounds who have different histories and experiences. And a lot of my like best friends in medical school, they have like background in business and in like healthcare Mm -hmm. consulting and in maximizing efficiency in healthcare. And I just think that's so fascinating. And I think it takes a special type of person, people who think a certain way. Um, And I Mm -hmm. don't think I have that, but I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to be able to see a big problem and think, okay, what is the best rational way to fix this? But I'm not so much like that. And I'm more of the kind of person who sees small issues. And I'm like, okay, what can I do to fix these issues? And if we work on small issues together, then we can solve big problems. But Mm -hmm. I think that's not always the best way to approach an issue. And so what I'm hoping to do is cultivate better skills to better understand how to tackle large questions. And I think that's what studying gender and health kind of did for me. It Mm -hmm. introduced me to this feminist thought, introduced me to different tools to use to tackle big questions. And that's something I'm interested in continuing to explore, right? Yeah. It's like these tangible ways of thinking to help you manage and break down a problem. So I feel like that's what healthcare system sciences and quality improvement like means to me is being able mm-hmm. to see a big issue and then figure out how to fix it. But the thing is that when I compare Florence and I compare hospitals now, the size is just so different. It's not just one hospital that we're working with that we're trying to like improve. Yes. Hospital systems are these vast, interconnected. They're kind of like big tumors, I feel like. They're like highly vascularized. (laughs) Yeah, they keep growing. They're just like so interconnected. Like you can't just pull out one part of it because like the insides will leak. It's just like a problem. The whole system's not a problem, but I think objectively there's just capitalism and business models that are so deeply ingrained in hospital care that 
mm-hmm. patients' lives and doctor physician efficiency and communication and interprofessional work, all of those things can sometimes be put on the back burner because of the vastness of our systems. And so right. we need quality improvement because of all of these years of trying to like maximize outcomes. And now we're trying to go back and fix it. Yeah. I think that's so true, especially with the idea that the system's almost too big now. I think it's interesting that they're going into med schools to start almost trying to fix it yeah. from like the beginning, Yeah, especially from a physician side, one with bringing different types of people into the healthcare system and how they're teaching it. Like I mentioned that we learned this in anatomy, like we literally would have to go because our the way our anatomy works is it's split into two groups. One group does dissection one day, the other group does dissection the other day. But in between then you have to meet up and you have to hand off your patient, which is our cadaver. And the cadaver does not move. They're at the same table every day. Like we know that's ours, but we still have to practice this handoff of information because that's such a large issue in medicine is that switching from the doctor that's on call to the next doctor. And if you don't tell them the right information as you hand off your patients, like that's going to hurt the patient's care. That's something we're learning from literally day one now. So it's just interesting that I think it's being so pulled into the lower parts of medicine, I guess now, because we're like truly at the bottom right now. Yeah. But it's already a part of who we are as future physicians. Yeah, definitely. It is very cool. And I think, I mean, I have a class called health system sciences, where we literally like meet to talk about health systems. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, I, I, I would not go to say that me being in a class about health system sciences is a class about me knowing how to do any kind of quality improvement, but yeah, it is interesting. And like, it does foster discussion about issues within hospital systems and how to tackle them. And I think it's also interesting because we're coming at it from this perspective of like, being at med schools connected to big hospitals, but of course there's like way smaller quality mm-hmm. control issues differ with different sizes and spectrums and locations of hospitals. So like a small community-based practice is not going to have the same problems as like a giant conglomeration. So oh, those yeah, are things to consider sure. too. Yeah. So also to do with um, healthcare is like, why do you think Florence has such a large role in starting this change? Like why was she the snowball? That's a good question because I don't know if I fully have an answer, but something that stuck with me that we were talking about at the beginning was how she came from this wealthy background and it mm-hmm. and she met Queen Victoria and all this stuff. And yeah, I think in my head, when you said that to me, I was like, okay, it wasn't just because this nurse like did a lot of good work, which she did, but I think it's also because of her connections and her privilege. That oh, she sure. like used her privilege to actually do something meaningful, which I'm like, thank God, because um, mm-hmm. I would probably have respected her less if she didn't. But also, if she didn't, I probably wouldn't even know who she is. And so that's another reminder, yeah. a consistent, constant reminder to use privilege and use our privilege to improve the lives of others by advocating for them. And she did it through research and evidence-based medicine. And I think that's really cool. There's so many different ways they can manifest. So when people are like, oh, I, I recognize that I'm privileged. And it's like, okay, but now what? Now what? Yeah. What are you going to do with your voice? I also think a big part of it might've been bringing her into the room. Like it just shows how mm. diversifying spaces can push like 
society forward so much because she and this team of nurses walked in this hospital of men where they were like, why are you here? And then because she was not used to being in this hospital and she walks in and sees how dirty and gross she is, she's like, no, this is not going to work. But the physicians that have been there, like they've been there the whole time. Like that's how it is for them. So they don't see it as anything different. So just bringing a new perspective in, I feel like was a big start to her creating this change because she was able to say like, I have this different idea of how it should be. And she used her privilege to say like, I think this is what should be done. And people listened to her because she had this different perspective and it really started that snowball. So it just really shows how like diversity can bring about such great change. Yeah, I agree with you, but I do want to push back a little and say that and you know this, but it's like diversity is like one step of it. But I wonder what it is that we're not seeing because we weren't alive. So Mm -hmm. I imagined the pushback. What was that? And how did that feel? And then also like the fact that Florence was this wealthy white woman. And of course, like for POC and like, especially like by POC identifying people, that's just not the same level. And so who is the one in charge of making these changes and making these decisions and what Mm -hmm. kind of leadership development and like voice do they have um, to kind of command the room and get people to listen to them? I feel like that's a really difficult space to be in already because it's inherently putting yourself in this place where you're going to be not liked. But then how do you deal with that and tackle that? and, And some people have it easier than others inherently. Yes, yes. I totally agree with that. The last thing I was thinking about is I said how when Florence came back and she started this school and women started to flock to the nursing profession, like, why do you think that happened? Like, why was she such an icon for change, like specifically in nursing? So not just in healthcare, like service development, but just for the profession in general. I think this definitely plays back into her being a wealthy white woman who brought, who was so successful. But I also want to hear if you have any other opinions on it. That was actually like my main thought because she got this award from mm-hmm. Queen Victoria. She made it like a cool thing. She made it this thing that like, women were yes. like, yeah, I, I could do that too. Like, cool. And I'm grateful for her for doing it. I don't know how involved nursing would be in the healthcare system if it wasn't for her. I think there's still, mm-hmm. it, there's still so much value to it inherently. And especially before her, it was clearly this important thing. But I don't know if as a profession, it would be as highly regarded. I mean, it wouldn't be as highly regarded. So that's what you taught me just now. So like, (laughs) yeah, I think I'm thankful for her because our nurses are wonderful. I definitely feel like she was the equivalent to an influencer. Like today, (laughs) people, people who are influencers, either you're really lucky and you somehow got on the influencer train or you have some like money and some type of privilege that have allowed you to get to the spot where you are, you can influence people's opinions on really anything at this point. And that's kind of what Florence was. She was out here killing it, being a nurse. She was getting a lot of praise from society and from important figures like the queen. And, you know, people saw that and it was like, heck, I want to do that too. And that would not have been the same if it was not, if she was not white, if she was not wealthy, if she was like of lower class, even if she was high, white, like things like that all really play into it. Um, I just realized this too, is that, you know, medicine touches everyone. Like everyone knows someone who's sick. Everyone's been sick at some point. Everyone's been impacted by healthcare. So when you see someone who's so 
pertinent in your life all of a sudden, so influential, but also so inspiring too in the field of healthcare. You're like, that's so amazing. Like, I want to be a part of that. I'm seeing these people do so much good for people who are sick and for me. And I like seeing them do it. So I want to do it too. So that um, kind of interesting because you know, just because I see someone have a really cool makeup look on Instagram doesn't mean I'm going to go into being a makeup artist or something. Right. But I can definitely say if I watch a video about frontline workers during COVID, I am so much more appreciative of the profession I'm in after watching that video. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe I'm biased because we are in medicine. So obviously, I'm going to feel more about that than anything, but I think that is a factor. <laughs> I agree. Yay! Yay! Well, <laughs> If you enjoyed our episode today, especially our, since it was kind of a two-parter, but across two seasons, you should subscribe so you can hear more of us elaborating on old episodes and just talking more about history. Definitely subscribe using whatever podcast app you like. And then also, if you have time, we would love it if you would leave a rating and review. And Apple Podcasts is just the best place for that. It will really help us raise our podcast in the charts and get us more views. Absolutely. And um, while you are checking us out, you should go to our Instagram or Facebook, um, check out our social media in general. We're pretty active on there. And you can also get our show notes and sources that are on our website, which is from scrubs.com. And we also have merch, which you can check out on the website too. Yeah, the merch is fun. I'm really loving the merch. I know it's really all of you in your tote bags. I see you. I see you in your oh, tote, tote bags. bags are great. <laughs> but yes, and as our podcast grows, we're interested in doing more collaborations and making bonus content for you all. So if you or someone you know is interested in working with us, just shoot us an email or an Insta DM. Absolutely. And lastly, of course, as always, we want to end our episode by giving a cheers, a shout out to the women who fought for us to be where we are today, like Florence Nightingale. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yay. Yay. Okay. All right, guys. See you next time. Love you. Bye.